in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who does give us a reason to celebrate today. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it's kind of interesting at the end of the reading we had from Luke, we have Peter who's kind of perplexed. He's really kind of not sure what to do there. Um, He's heard from these women that came in and they said, "Um, So, yeah, we went to the tomb and it was open and there was nothing in there. So we went inside and then all of a sudden there were these two guys and they were in dazzling clothes. And then they told us that Jesus had actually said something about this before and that he was risen from the dead. And then all of the other disciples said, Well, you're just telling tales. We don't really believe you. But Peter... Peter was like, what? And he runs over to the tomb. It says he runs to the tomb. He's really excited, and that kind of fits Peter. Peter is the apostle who really doesn't do a whole lot of thinking before he acts. That's who Peter is. And he just runs over to the tomb, and stooping into the tomb, he looks in and he sees linen cloths. But Jesus is supposed to be in there. And so he kind of straightens up, you get the picture, and, and then he well, he starts walking back to Jerusalem. And have you ever had one of those times where something was so heavy on your mind that you just sort of ran it on autopilot? That you just you walk through the halls and you kind of bumped into people because it was so heavy on your mind you were trying to figure out what was going on? And that's the picture that you get of Peter after he sees this open tomb. He's walking back to Jerusalem from this tomb. And it's, it's like, yeah, maybe stuff is going on around him, but he doesn't really notice that. He's just trying to figure out these questions that are in his head. These questions that are probably going something along the lines of, well... Okay, did did I really not see him? Was I looking in the wrong place? No, no, I was looking in the right place, and there were definitely linen strips there. So, he's gone, but where is he? Well, if he's gone, then who took him? And what does that mean? And the girl said that he had said this before? Really? And you can see him asking those questions all the way back to Jerusalem. Asking those questions in the midst of his shock of this Easter. This shock of wondering, what happened? This shock that comes from this miracle that happened. And Peter is really wondering here, what did happen How did this work? How did this all shake out? Why are there just linen strips left? And so, he's walking back and he's trying to answer those questions. Questions deep inside of his soul about what had been the case with his master and what had happened there. What did happen? 
Well, you just kind of heard the story, and you probably, most of you, maybe not all of you, but most of you probably know what happened in that story. And actually, just the externals of it alone are probably enough to make us go, wow. I mean, just the externals alone are enough for us to put together a pretty decent Easter service because some dude raised from the dead. That's a pretty amazing thing. If you don't think so, I really want to hear who you knew who raised from the dead. That's a surprising thing that we can sit back and revel at. That we can sit back and say, that's amazing. Nobody, I don't know anybody who does that. And in fact, if you went to the Veritas Forum this past weekend, or this past week at FSU, you got to hear two people debate about the historicity of Jesus' resurrection or not. And you had the one guy who said, absolutely, Jesus' resurrection was an absolutely historical event, and here are the reasons why. And I'm not going to lay those out for you. You can pick them up online. But his opponent had something very interesting to say. His opponent, a guy named James Patterson, believed that the resurrection was actually not a physical resurrection, not an actual physical historical event. And he had basically just one reason for it. And his one reason was that it didn't fit into his worldview. He said, um, you know, the basic reason that I don't believe that Jesus raised from the dead is that, well, I don't know too many people that raised from the dead. And neither do we. I mean, we've probably all, at least most, been to a funeral in here. And most of us didn't go back to the gravesite three days later and be like, oh, hey, look, it's Uncle Bob. Have a nice nap. That's not a part of what we consider to be an average sort of normal human experience. And and it's not. In fact, it was even not a very normal experience for Peter, which is important because Peter had sort of seen this already, right? Peter had seen the little girl who Jesus said, Talitha Kum, and she rose up from the dead. He had seen another boy whom Jesus had raised from the dead. He had seen his own mother-in-law be raised from the dead. We're not quite sure if he liked that or not, but he did see it. He saw all of these people raised from the dead, and on top of that, he also had all of these stories tucked away inside of his Hebrew brain about people that had been raised from the dead before, like the widow of Nain and the widow of Zarephath, who were raised by Elijah and Elisha. They had been raised through these people, but this was a new thing with Peter, because all of those people had been raised... By personal agency. All of those people had been raised by somebody who was speaking on behalf of God saying, get up. That's not what happened with Jesus. Maybe one of the things that Peter was thinking about when he was walking back was, who was this that God loved so much? That he did something that he had never done before in history. 
He raised somebody from the dead without personal agency. He just said, this is the way that I want it. Bam. He's raised from the dead. Nobody there saying, Jesus, get up. Nobody there saying, arise. Just all of the sun. There he was. Jesus alive. And Peter had seen him dead. There was no question about that. Peter knew that he was dead. And now it seemed as if he was alive. And later on he would actually see him alive, eating and breathing. Eating pieces of fish. Not just putting them in his mouth and then like falling on the floor or something. But eating them. Completely, physically, back to life. It's something amazing. It's something that makes us wonder what happened. And while we don't know everything about the resurrection, we do know that it happened. We do know that it happened. It's kind of an interesting thing. There's this book that was written by this guy named Nassim Nicholas Tlaib. And the book's name was Black Swan. And in this book, Nicholas puts together this, this this construct of this sort of event that happens in our human experience that he calls a black swan event. And this black swan event actually comes from uh, this idea of a black swan not existing. In fact, the poet Juvenal, the Roman poet Juvenal in the first century, put together this poem in which he used the black swan as sort of the way that we would use a $3 bill. Sort of the way that we, we would say, well, that's just as phony as a $3 bill. Juvenile says, well, that's about as phony as a black swan. And everybody thought, okay, this is a great little idiom we can use, a great little phrase that we can use to say this is something that is false, it's a black swan. Well, that all worked out until about 1654 when... Explorers went into a certain part of Australia, and there in the lake they saw black swans. There in the lake they saw irrefutable proof that there was this thing called a black swan. And it's sort of an interesting thing, because you can watch white swans all day long, and from that you could never make the inference that there is not a black swan. You can never actually logically make that inference just by watching white swans. But as soon as you see a black swan, you can logically make the inference not all swans are white. He said that in this black swan event, there's three parts of it. The first part of it is that it's something new. It's something that has never been seen before. Something that is not a part of our normal experience. The second thing is that it is something that has impact. It's something that changes the world around it. And the third thing, the third thing is kind of interesting. The third thing is that when you see this thing, then months later you actually begin to retro-process it. You begin to think of the thing in such a way that you sort of imagine that you could have predicted it before it actually came about. Some examples of this are the personal computer, the internet, and the 9-11 attacks. 
that you can see this thing and then retroactively think about it. That's what a black swan event is. And our Lord's resurrection is a black swan event. Our Lord's resurrection was something that we had never seen before. Oh sure, we had seen Lazarus raised from the dead before, and we had seen the widow of Nain raised from the dead before, and we had seen Peter's mother-in-law raised from the dead before, but they always had this experience about them where a little bit later on in life they say, Oh, I remember this part. And they die again. That's not the experience that Jesus has. It's something different because he doesn't die again and because it's not something that happened with a personal agency. And so you have this something different and something that then we retroactively process. That's why people really don't care about Easter that much. You know, not that real real big of a deal. We are celebrating today a man got up out of the grave. That's big news. I don't care where you are. But because we retroactively process it, we begin to think, oh, well, yeah, it's obvious. Of course Jesus raised out of the dead. Well, that's what the angels said. But the reason that we get stuck into that thinking about it being so sort of predictable is that we don't really put enough emphasis on that second part of the black swan effect. And that second part is how much it impacts our lives. How much it really does impact our lives. And maybe part of the reason for that is that we think of Easter the same way as we think of Good Friday. And maybe that's because, well, not many of you that are here this morning were here on Good Friday. I don't hold that against you. Well, actually, I sort of do hold it against you. But we try to lump Good Friday and Easter all into being the same thing, and they're not. Because Good Friday, the big news about Good Friday is that your sins are forgiven. And that's big news. Your sins are forgiven. But that's not the message of Easter. The message of Easter is something different. Yeah, it goes along with the forgiveness of sins, and you have to have the forgiveness of sins in order to get to Easter. But when we get to Easter, you have great news. You have the news of new life. No matter what your life was like before, that's done. You have new life. Everything in the past is in the past, and you can live a new life. Some of you know what it's like to turn your life around and how great of a feeling it is to know that you can live a new life disassociated from all of that nasty stuff that you did before. That's what today is all about. It's about new life. You're raised up out of the tomb of what you used to be. And it's great news. You're also given a new perspective. This new perspective where you don't have to really worry about being dead anymore. Oh sure, that'll come for all of us. Just as surely as it came for Lazarus. Just as surely as it came again for Peter's mother-in-law. Just as surely as it came for 
those widow's sons and that girl who Jesus raised from the dead saying, Talitha kum, we will all die unless he comes back before then. But when he does come back, when he does come back, if you're dead, you won't stay dead. That's a good thing. If you are not dead, then you will never taste death. You have this new perspective on life where this isn't it anymore. This is not the sum of your experience. The sum of your experience is going to be so long that you can't even count it. Eternity is a very long time. And that's how long you're going to live. Because Jesus died on a cross. Because Jesus forgave you of your sins. Because He paid the price for those sins. Even descending into hell to pay for your sins. And then raising again. Not to forgive your sins. Raising again to tell you that they're forgiven. And to give you hope. And to give you assurance that you, if you believe, that you have a new life. And you have a new perspective. And that today, we don't just celebrate His new life. We celebrate yours. Because that's what He gave you on this day. Alleluia. Amen.